Do, 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 do. Here we go. My name's Todd. And this is Kathy. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 621. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding and always remember our motto, which is the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. On today's show, we have a special guest uh, back for the second time, uh, Jason Gaddis. Jason is the author of a book that is it. It's not out yet, is it? Uh, October 5th. Oh, okay. Yeah, it so will yes, be out it by will the time. be out. We're yeah. recording this on the first. So mm-hmm. it is out. So go to um, whatever platform you use to purchase books, and I'm sure it's going to be there. The name of the book is called Getting to Zero. And the subtitle is How to Work Through Conflict in Your High Stakes Relationship. Jason Gaddis, I'm going to give you a round of, of applause for showing up today and writing a book that... Uh, I think is going to change some things for people in relationships. Um, I guess I should probably introduce him. Uh, Jason is the author, a relationship expert and coach who teaches people the one class they didn't get in school, how to do relationships. Um, He has thousands of fans and followers across multiple channels and is the host of the Relationship School podcast with over 5 million downloads. And it seems like he's interviewed everyone that I love. So (laughs) that's why I listen to his podcast. And he's done over 330 episodes. He's the visionary behind the Relationship School and his uh, first book, Getting to Zero. Um, Jason, welcome. Good to have you here. Thank you, Todd and Kathy. Great to be back. Good to see you both again. You too. And um, Kathy, congrats on your book. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And that'll be out in February of 2022. So um, this is going to be very informal, Jason. We've had you on the podcast before. We're just going to riff uh, about some things that we thought in your book was good. Kathy's got some hot takes. Well, they're, I mean, they're not hot takes. It's not like, I'm not bringing conflict to the conflict discussion. But, but if you were, he would be set up I for know. it. I know. Of all people, Jason Gaddis can handle what I what I bring. But I just, there's some things that I think are so valuable. I, I just want to say that last week, Jason, we happened to do a podcast called Difficult Conversations, which is probably mm-hmm. the 83rd one we've done about <laughs> difficult conversations, only because... This message that we get, and I'm going to ask you if you get the same message, is, okay, I had the difficult conversation, and it didn't work, and Mm -hmm. I don't want to have it again. And so there's this misunderstanding people have about Todd and I that we somehow never have difficult conversations, which we do, which is the whole point. Mm -hmm. So do you get that feedback, too? Like people say, well, I already asked once or did this once. Sometimes people do. um, Yeah, I get more of the, I haven't had the conversation Mm -hmm. yet. Mm Mm-hmm. But when the people come that say, "Yeah, I already, I already tried that," you know, they're they're frustrated, right? They're they're sort of at the end of their rope. And I, my question back to them, or my challenge is, "What did you try? And how? How? What was your technique? I want to hear it. Mm-hmm. Bring it." And then they tell me, and I'm, I have all kinds of feedback for mm-hmm. what they could have done differently. Mm. Mm-hmm. So I feel like um, I'm going to ask you probably the question that you get asked all the time when you do a book tour is getting to zero. So I, I want to lay the foundation of it generally, and then we'll yeah. get into some of the details. Um, why do you call it getting to zero? And what is zero, which is kind of, it's funny when I think of zero, it's like, oh, zero dollars in my bank account, that sucks. Or zero friends, that sucks. <laughs> like, how did you come up with zero? Nice. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I, I found myself with students and clients saying over and over again, you got you want to get back to zero, um, back to a good place. 
And they often would say, what do you mean? And I'd say, well, let's pretend we have a scale of zero to 10. Um, 10 is I'm really triggered. Zero is I'm not triggered at all. And I feel connected to you. Mm. Zero is the baseline. And zero is our happy place where we feel great as a couple or business partners or friends. And I want to live my life from zero. I don't know about you guys. Mm -hmm. If that's our definition, that feels pretty good. And um, my wife and I operate best when we're at zero or closest to it. Um, don't you think as human beings, and you talk about the brain in the book, our default is not to be at zero because our brain is designed to scan the environment for threat. Would you agree with that? Uh, close. I would say, say it a little differently. I'd say um, we are more wired for threat than connection. And because we're social mammals and fitting into the herd is so important to us, uh, we're on the lookout all the time for threats to what would have us be on the outside of the herd. Mm. And so, and it's really not, we're not that conscious of, of actually how much we're tracking. It's on a neuroceptive level, as Stephen Porges calls it, where we're just kind of scanning all the time in a cocktail party or at the airport or wherever we are, dropping the kids off at school even. We're still on the lookout kind of all the time, like you're saying. But that does, that's not a hypervigilant state. Uh, hypervigilance is not at zero. Mm-hmm. When we're just pretty relaxed in our life and our parasympathetic nervous system and we're you know, rest and digest, we're just hanging out and we're feeling pretty good. Um, we're not so much in a threat response scanning. Mm. Um, yeah. Interesting. Sweetie, where do you want to go? Um, so, and actually Todd, this just dropped out of my earphone. Did that happen to you too? Yes, it did, but that's all right. I think we'll be all right. Okay. You sure? It's just, you can take this part out, but I just want to make sure that the sound quality doesn't get, um, so Here's, you know, Jason, I was reading your book again this morning, um, and there's there's so many things that I wrote down that, um, but I think what I really enjoy reading about your, the system that you have, or, or I don't even know if you want to call it a system, program, um, model, if, a model that you, model, yeah, sure. whatever you want to say, is that I was kind of going through it in my own mind of like, this is obviously applicable to relationships. Like, you know, this is something that, um, you know, that Todd and I, we don't use exactly the model that you laid out, but that I could relate to every different part of it. Mm -hmm. And then I was listening to, then I dropped my daughter off at school and I happened to be listening to Brene Brown's podcast, Daring to Lead. And she was talking about conflict in the workplace. And I'm like, oh, Jason's model totally works for this workplace situation. Mm -hmm. And then, and and as, as I was upstairs getting ready, um, I was like, oh, this, I'm so interested to hear. And I guess this is my question. Do you use this model with parenting? Like, you know, like oh, yeah. how do you, because I just think maybe our real, our deep dive work is with our significant other or, but it's like this, you know, tell me how you use this model with your kids or how you teach your kids about this model. Yeah. Nice. Well, Todd said it in the intro there that as you guys know, the best predictor of, you know, uh, optimal well-being of a kid is the parent's ability to self-reflect and make meaning out of their life. So, um, you know, I'm a huge fan of Dan Siegel and that, Mm -hmm. and, um, Dan supported this book and I learned a lot from him and I'm a, you know, Ellen and I, my wife are, um, constantly in the workshop every day with our kids and ourselves and each other, right. As you guys know, um, parenting. And if we can't work it out, you know, as partners, that's going to, probably negatively impact our kids over time. And if we're chronically pushing shit under the rug or 
um, blaming and or throwing each other under the bus in front of each other or making sarcastic jabs or triangulating, well, your mom said, and, you know, don't tell your dad I said this, and all these little ways in which kids start getting the message that, okay, there's something off here. Um, it's not emotionally safe for everybody. Mm -hmm. So this is absolutely um, a parenting course in a way, this mm -hmm. book. Um, and I mentioned parenting quite a bit, but it's not like specifically called a parenting book. Mm. Yeah, I feel like it's, I mean, I think on your cover it says high stakes relationships. So like, you know, I I, yeah. I would start with our significant other, if you have one, is probably the most, and to your point, Jason, um, the modeling piece is probably the most important thing when it comes to parenting. But um, sweetie, why don't we jump in? Because you said, is it okay to talk about this? <laughs> because Kathy and I just had a... Um, interesting discussion. Well, and, it, and it's not, and here's the thing, it's nothing new. Like sometimes when Todd prefaces like conversations that we're having, he's like, we had a difficult conversation. I'm like, we do all the time. It just, mm. and it seems to be about, and, and here's, Jason, this is kind of, you can work through this with me because we're not, we've been doing this for 20 years. We've been married for 20 years and we've always eventually come to manage these difficult conversations, but they happen again and again, sometimes yeah. um, around this, a similar topic. And instead of getting too into the weeds about that, the thing that I have found myself to be most frustrated about is that, uh, first I'll give Todd total props here. When, when a difficult conversation begins, he shows up and he, he has all these things that, I don't even want to call them tools because they don't seem um, you know, inauthentic. They're very genuine and we yeah. can really work it through. The thing that I get frustrated about is that I am the one who brings it up almost mm. every time. Now he can tell mm -hmm. that there's something going on. Like he knows we're not connected. He, he's like, and he'll yeah. say things like, how you doing? But there's, I can feel, and you know, I'm kind of reading this language in your book, this like I can feel his fear of the conflict. And sometimes I want to be like, dude, we have done this a thousand times. Like, you know, we're going to get through it. And I actually said to him the other day, conflict doesn't scare me anymore with you because we've done it so much. And your reply to me was, it still scares me. I hate it. I hate it. And Jason has a yeah. chapter called The Price Tag of Avoiding Conflict. And that was the first chapter <laughs> I've read. So I just want you to riff on either that part of your book or uh, helping me fix myself, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're talking about a dynamic, first of all, that's very normal. Yeah. Um, often one partner is leading the repair or, mm -hmm. hey, can we get back to a good place? Can we talk about what happened? Um, you could call it more of an avoidant style to, to not bring it up, or you could just say that I'm a slower processor. Mm -hmm. um, it takes me a, lo a longer time to metabolize what happened and, mm -hmm. and really think about it, and I, I don't have the thoughts, mm -hmm. so why would I want to talk to my partner when I don't know what I'm going to say. Mm. And so there's a number of possibilities there, but I just want to say it's, you guys are normal. This yeah. is very, my <laughs> yeah. wife and I, very similar yeah. dynamic over here. Well, and it's funny in your book, um, I don't know if I can find it. Uh, you said, my wife has triggered me by raising her voice, shutting down, being late at least 886. You know, you did the math, the amount of times yeah. that you have been together. And if you do the, if you do the math, you, we trigger, trigger each other in relationship. That's yeah, kind of what we do. Cool. And you actually talk about how the different ways that we do that um, and that we're not all supposed to be Eckhart Tolle and just be this Zen person all the time. So I just wonder if you can, you know, expand a little bit on that. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, let me try to tie these two points together. Um, 
if if you're Kathy coming back to the first point, if you're let's say pretty frustrated with Todd's way, a couple of things could be going on there. One is you're not totally understanding Todd and where he comes from. Yeah. Um, Keep talking. I like where you're going with this. <laughs> right. And it's, it's like deeply understanding his nervous system mm. and what makes him tick would be like, are you expecting him to do something? He's actually not, his nervous system isn't capable of. Mm, I you know, like that's that. one possibility here. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so you're going to keep being frustrated so long as you ask him to do that. And then Todd can appreciate you for, thank you for holding that down in our relationship. Cause I am not very good at it and I may never be. And thank you for just being the champion for us, mm. you know? So, so there can be a way in which you guys can reframe this whole thing is it's okay the way it is. Mm -hmm. Can we relax into this is how our dynamic is and celebrate it and play to our strengths and be a team about it. The, you know, that's ooh. just one idea. That's really good. I kind of like that. And I, I want to take one more step, though. What happens, Jason, is I self-blame. I'm uh -huh. like, God, she's right. Why do I yeah. always let her initiate this difficult conversation? And I'm just wondering how, how you would support me and everybody else who has this inner critic of, of how to manage that. Well, you're doing the same thing she is. You're just doing it to yourself. Mm -hmm. So you both, it sounds like to me, have the same expectation that, Todd, you need to do it differently here. Mm -hmm. So if you could both agree, let's lower that expectation and be realistic given my nervous system and who I am and where I come from. And can we? Can it be okay that I don't actually initiate the repair? And can I just be grateful that you do? Mm. And then can we see where else in our relationship am I initiating and, and leading, and you're sort of more following and, and that thing. So it, it sort of balances out and it feels somewhat fair over time, right? Mm. I, I, you know, I really like that, mostly because of that first part that I told you that Todd is really good at, we work through conflict. And here's the other part that I have to own, is that a lot of times it's my, my experience with the issue that I am struggling with something. And, and I get right. frustrated that he can't see it. Um, and the, just to give you like teeny background without diving too much into it, Todd was gone for three or four days. Then he um, came home, but then really wasn't around, was still busy, had to go be with family. Then that night, he's like, I'm going out socially. And he was just gone, gone, gone. And the reason why mm -hmm. it was frustrating mm -hmm. is because this is something we've talked about for 20 years. More than is that. when you're gone, travel, whatever. I can do it really well. I, I'm fine with it. Like this is part of a view. Yeah. He's had this job forever. But then when you come home, you have to recognize what I've been doing and not get, he like keeps spinning. Mm. So mm -hmm. it's, I think I get frustrated that I have to bring it up again. But the truth is he sees it. He, the con, we kind of have a, a, a shorthand now where we don't have to go deep into our childhoods, even though we had to initially. That's a big part yeah. of this. Like you write about that in your book and you just kind of mentioned this about, you know, Todd's background and, and his own nervous system. But the way we do conflict has a lot to do with how we were raised. Yes. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think I hear you saying if Todd would, you know, on those trips or whatever, and when he's really busy and then he comes back and he, he stays busy. I, I think I hear you saying you just want to be noticed or considered yes. or something. Yes, yes. Uh, I want to him to notice and to come back because it's like when Todd travels, he gets out of the mix. You know, he and mm -hmm. I are very co-partnery. You know, I don't, that's is that a word? Co-partnery. Yeah, we're in sync. Yeah, we're in sync. Kind of in sync. We right? have a nice routine. Rhythm. We've co-parent. Yeah. He's just as close to the girls as I am. All that kind of thing. But then when he leaves, he gets in this different. It's like he goes on a different track 
on the uh-huh. on the roller coaster and uh-huh. I'm still doing this and I'm like where are you going like you have to get back uh-huh. in sync with with us so part of it yes is is validation of you did all this while I was gone you know I'll totally own that because that's part of my history is see me hear me um, yeah, yeah. and then the other part is you got to come you got to come back dude and if I don't tap you on the shoulder I just feel like you know and again the story I tell myself is he'll keep spinning mm-hmm. further away mm-hmm. do you ever do you ever just tell him, show him you're sad or just without going into the story about it, do you ever just say, I'm kind of hurting and feel alone over here? I don't know, Todd, do... Sometimes, sometimes you're more reactive and sometimes you're like, you'll, you'll like, this is what I love about Kathy. She'll, (laughs) she'll start the conversation and I judge that many partners wouldn't start it this way saying, this is not about you. This is not your fault, but I'm about to complain about all these. Like she'll at least set it up in at nice. least a little bit. Um, oh, well, I try and own my part. Dis- yeah, you it's know? like a disarming way. Whereas I think most partners just attack. So yeah, that's totally. the one thing I'll say. So she's considered that way. Yes. I'm guessing though, Todd, it would work for you well if she just went to vulnerability and just said, I'm, you know, I'm feeling alone. I'm feeling kind of scared over here. I'm just feeling, I'm missing you versus a complaint. Yeah. And I, and as I think, I don't think of Kathy, I mean, it usually starts with the emotion and then gets into the content. It starts with the fear or the sadness. And then she's like, and by the way, four days and then a fifth day. And you know, you know that we're going to have to talk about this. So, (laughs) okay. Well, and, and Jason, I think you just hit on something that's important to me, but also to the women that I coach and support in their relationships is there's this, and I, I kind of think visually, so I'm going to try and like map this out for you. There's this thing yeah. where I'm like having all these feelings mm-hmm. and then I come to a wall that I have to, I realize I have to climb over it to have this conversation with Todd because yeah. my vulnerability crops up. I get a little victim-y um, of like, how could he? I, I have a desire to be mad instead of sad. Um, I want to, I I don't do the whole passive aggressive thing for days. And early in our relationship, he's like, that's really my childhood. Don't do that. That's my Achilles heel. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be like, you know, but I do have a hard time. Yeah. I have a hard time being, I'm, this, this is it. I get mad that I'm the one that has to climb that wall all the time Mm -hmm. to get to the conversation. Yeah, and below your madness, you're you're a little hurt yes. and scared. Would be my guess. Mm-hmm. Yes, and if you could stay in the hurt and the scared um, mm-hmm. a little longer, that'd be my suggestion. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that would get Todd's attention more than than you climbing over the wall and bringing out the list. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's kind of how, and then, like he said, after the list, then it becomes more vulnerable and, and all, but you're right. It's like, we definitely have a pattern and we, and so, you know, here's my question to you. And, and I think I, I kind of asked it before, but I want to dig deeper into this in terms of your book. There's so, you know, Todd tends to work with men. I tend to work with mi- women. Mm-hmm. We have some overlap, but And what women mostly come to me with is I'm struggling with my marriage. I'm struggling with my partner. Here's all the things I'm struggling with. And they really do a big vent with me. And and then I say, okay, so when he heard these things, uh, because it's usually, um, you know, uh, male, female, um, you know, marriage. When he heard these things, what did he say? And they're like, well, I haven't told him. Because they don't, they're afraid. And I was just reading this chapter this morning again about that fear, you know, of 
even like that bringing it up is going to cause more problems. That's, you know, yeah, like it's more, more conflict, more disruption. Yeah. So this is where I want you to talk about choice A, choice B, choice C, yeah. Jason, because yeah, I think cool. that'll be good. The two shitty choices. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. So I, I like to use this um, frame I call two shitty choices. And whenever there's a uh, an issue like you're speaking about, Kathy, where the wife is upset with the husband, let's say, she's got a choice. And it's like, do I speak up, which is choice A, or do I not speak up, which is choice B? Choice A is uh, the fear, because we have to explore the fears, because she's in a double bind. Um, and, and she's seeing it as two shitty choices instead of like a third option here. Choice A is I speak up, he goes away further, he gets more upset, and now we're in even more distance and conflict. And that's just going to make this whole thing worse. So I'm not going to say anything. No way. Choice A sucks. Choice B sucks because if I don't say anything, it doesn't get better. Mm -hmm. And I kind of have to betray myself and stuff my truth and just sit here and kind of go along to get along. And I don't know if I want to do that either. So I'm just going to stay stuck in indecision mm -hmm. and freeze. You know, I, mm -hmm. I, I don't know what to do. But by saying, I don't know what to do, you're automatically defaulting to choice B, which is business as usual and betray yourself. Uh, and so I'm encouraging choice C, which is take choice A and turn it into choice C, which is courage through conflict. Have the courage to bring up the uncomfortable thing. Uh, it could be a complaint. It could just be your feelings, whatever it is that you're afraid is going to drive him further away and do it anyway, because that way you might lose him, but you at least won't lose your relationship with yourself, which I think is the most important relationship here. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I know it's easy for me to say it's like high stakes, like there's kids and mortgages. And of course. It's not that simple. And your habit of betraying yourself over and over again is creating the kind of marriage you're getting. Exactly. So why not speak up and go into conflict and learn how? It's a skill that anyone can learn. Learn how to communicate skillfully. Learn how to listen to him better, more effectively. Ideally, you can do it as a team. But if he's not on board, you can do it on your own. And you can become a much, much better communicator and stop trying to avoid conflict. Like take the attitude that conflict's inevitable. It's actually going to make our relationship stronger. Conflict is a good thing, um, especially if we know how to work through it. Mm. It goes to, we always use this phrase, and I think we learned it from Richard Rohr, order, disorder, reorder. Well, Jason, Jason nice. in his book, I wrote, I actually wrote this down. You have connection, disconnection, reconnection, yeah. which is same thing. exactly the same yeah, concept, same you know, um, but getting comfortable with the fact that that's like, I, I, I know that you have a few, um, I think you have Pema Chodron's quotes in your book. I thought, I thought yeah. I saw that. Yeah. One. Yeah. And, um, when I'm really struggling, when something's going in, in relationship or just with the world, I listen to one of her audiobooks all the time because the whole thing is about it's supposed to fall apart over yeah. and over and over She's again. She's so awesome. She's the best. And just to have <laughs> someone say, best. you're in the natural rhythm, Kathy. It's, yeah, it's okay. It's you're okay. Right where you need to be. Exactly. <laughs> it relax. And so that in itself, Jason, that that teaching of connection, disconnection, reconnection, and that that's what partnership is because that's the natural yeah. rhythm of life, well, yeah? Not, not only that, but uh, if you may have read the Edtronics work around yeah. the still face experiment and parent-child attachment dynamics is security, secure attachment is actually built upon that cycle. Yeah. Disconnection, reconnection, connection. In fact, if you don't have conflict and the disconnection in there, you're not going to build secure attachment. So I think it's a pretty profound uh, way to see it that you know what, if I want to secure adult partnership, then I'm going to have to have conflict. I actually can't have a secure partnership without conflict. So another another reason to embrace conflict. 
option C is by far the best, but don't you think option B is so much worse than option A, or are they both just as equally bad? I'm with you. I, I think option B is the shits because mm -hmm. I have to betray myself and abandon my truth. And then I'm, again, this is what kids do. Uh, and I talk about this early in the book where children, because they value connection more than separation, right? And they don't want to be on the outs. They don't want to be abandoned or rejected by their parents and the big people. And it's so primal. Kids will abandon their truth and their true expression to keep connection with the big people. Mm -hmm. And that's what I call the core inner conflict. And so if you, that goes on your whole life where you don't feel like you can be yourself in your closest relationships, you're going to suffer. And I, I think the primary suffering is anxiety and depression, but it could be a lot more. It could be health problems or it could be all kinds of issues. Well, go ahead, sweetie. Well, I was going to say, I another thing that I loved, can you guys tell I love this book, <laughs> is that um, you actually, because I talk a lot about Winnicott and the true and false self, but you, yeah. you called it true and strategic self. Is, yeah. is that yours, Jason, or did you get that from somebody? No, I borrowed that from someone. Who did I get that from? Uh, my friend Rick's teacher. I can't even remember the teacher's name. Well, I wanted to just give you props for it, regardless of, you know, who, who started it and will, yeah. you know, but it, when I talk about the true and false self, I always struggle because th when we say false, it just sounds so obviously bad. When the yeah. truth is that the false self is developed to get us through life. It's strategic. It's intelligent. It's as smart. Hell, and it's necessary. And we actually, as adults, we still need strategies to get through life. So exactly. I don't want to make our strategic self wrong or say you have to get rid of it. Or It's really about integrating the two and having choice. Hmm. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with the strategic self. And what I've learned through some of my, um, I don't know, experiences that we need to learn how to embrace the strategic self. And so for me, the strategic self is I am how productive I am in a day or how many emails I get out. And there's times I'm like, God, my productive one is I just want to strangle him. And I feel like what we really need to do is know that the productive version of Todd showed up to protect him, but now it's getting in the way of other things. So I need to figure out how to embrace this one instead of push him away. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, really well said. Yeah, that's nice. Uh, and people in adult relationships, they like when we're dating, we're kind of in our strategies a lot. And then when you get after a couple of years, people start going, well, who the hell is this person I married? Mm -hmm. Oh my God, I can't believe they act like this. And well, it's like, well, yeah, because you didn't see that because their true self was sort of buried in hiding. And now you can't hide because you're in a marriage and you're living together and you've joined finances. Now you got kids. It's all going to come out. And, and I say, welcome all that. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you feel a little duped sometimes by who you partnered with. <laughs> because they were just trying to put their best foot forward. They were just doing their thing that they did as a kid. <laughs> Jason, do you believe, I don't know where I heard this, but the, you picked the partner you pick to help you heal all the crap that you didn't heal growing <laughs> up or no? Absolutely. And I, I think it's almost like you don't even pick. It's like you have this weird, you're going to find out of the seven, eight billion people here, you're going to find the, the one person that triggers you in just the right ways for your development. And mm. I think that's a good thing. Oh, so great. I do too. And, and I, you know, like that's the thing is, is here I'm sitting talking, you know, I started this talking about how I always have to bring up the conflict and, and go over the wall, but my whole childhood was about not bringing up conflict. So look what right. I can do. You're welcome, sweetie. Right? <laughs> um, like look at what this relationship with Todd means so much to me 
it, as much as it did, you know, day one to now, like obviously it's grown and it's totally different now in that in its depth, but it's like, it's always meant so much to me that I'm like, I will climb this wall. And sometimes when I yeah. get off, I'm tired and I'm going to be annoyed at you initially, <laughs> but there's not, and, and children too, you know, that's what we, you know, we talk about with Zen parenting all the time is you're willing to do the work for your kids and your partnership, you know, because yeah. these are your people. So in a way, you know, that's just, again, another way to look at conflict is it, it's just healing all that shit that we haven't, um, I, I like yeah. I, the word healing gets overused sometimes for me, but it's like, it's, we're, we're working through it. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. I mean, if I never, if I was too scared as a kid to, to tell my truth and speak up and be sensitive and emotional, like I, like I was as a boy and I'm too scared, I lose. If I, if I uh, take the attitude as an adult, like actually I, I want to learn about my sensitivity and in, in this part of me mm. because it's going on all the time subterranean and I, I'd like to have it actually be more of out in the open man, I, it could be a real gift for me. And it turns out it has been because mm-hmm. um, I was that boy. And turns out I'm using my sensitivity and my empathy and my emotions to be a teacher of relationships. Totally. <laughs> How cool is that? Totally. <laughs> One of the things I love. All right, before we uh, move on, I do want to talk about uh, our partner of the day. Cognis Springs is a startup founded by mothers. They design and sell children's puzzles, activity kits, board games, books, and many more intended to spark the love of learning by tapping into children's curiosity about the world around them. All the products are high quality and durable, designed by parents and focus on sustainability with biodegradable packaging, minimal plastics, and toys that help children understand the world around them. Ramya Setagiri is the founder. Like so many families, her household changed dramatically with the onset of the coronavirus. The biggest challenge she faced, like most parents, was engaging her son in meaningful screen-free time, which led to founding Cogna Springs along with her sister. Every product has a story behind it and evolved out of interaction with her kids. What does that mean to customers? It's already been tested out. So go to CognaSprings.com or simply click the link in the show notes, which will take you directly to their homepage. And don't forget to enter Zen Parent 20 for a limited time, 20% off. Again, go to CognaSprings.com. Now on with the show. How cool is that? Totally. One of the things I love about how Jason writes is that he writes with raw vulnerability. And I'm going to share a a, a little piece that I took out of his book. And it's Jason, when you're talking about the true self and the strategic self, so it's a paragraph, so bear with me, but, yeah. and I'll paraphrase, you started as being a really athletic guy and that's how you fit in and that's how you please your parents. And then you realized, uh, after a certain amount of time that you switched over and you went from a full blown pot, smick, uh, pot smoke and hippie to a frat boy who, who hazes and all that. And, and you said on one particular mush, powerful mushroom trip, I was walking with no direction through the desert when I saw someone 100 feet away who looked like me. Mm. As I moved closer, it turns out it was me. I instantly felt a deep sense of fear. How could I be in two places at the same time? Later, I would understand that I was seeing the core inner conflict between my two selves. It was terrifying and illuminating. It was my second psilocybin experience and it began to shatter the facade of my strategic self later i would call this a bad trip but it turned out to be a pivotal moment in my life something i cracked and a little sliver of my true self began to emerge that's yeah that's pretty good and i just wonder if you want to expand yeah. on that yeah thanks for noticing that yeah i was i mean i can get chills as i listen to that mm. as you listen you read that because it, it was so impactful part of my life because i was I was just living a big facade because I valued connection and acceptance more than being true to myself. So I, 
I would shapeshift and be a chameleon in social groups so I could fit in and get friends to like me and get girls to like me. And I was deep in that. And then I had this mushroom trip and it just, <laughs> it just mm-hmm. cracked that thing. And it was, it was very terrifying actually. And, uh, I would deny that experience for quite a while, mm. but it had opened a door that I couldn't close. <laughs> and so I, over the next many years, um, I would blow out of every relationship I had and, and continue to feel more and more depressed and anxious until I relationship pain kind of brought me to my knees and I was like, okay, I got to figure this shit out. I'm, my life is not working. Was there a moment or was it a period of moments? It was, it was a, it was a slow buildup. Um, but the moment was a breakup in a uh, whole foods parking lot with the woman that I talked Excellent. about in the book. Yeah. And that was the moment that changed the course of my life entirely. Cause I, I realized I was the one common denominator in all these relationship failures and I was breaking up with another solid woman. And I was just like hearing myself like a broken record, talk to this break up in another cool person. And just like, what am I fucking doing here? <laughs> and I said, I think I'm the problem. And it was like, like clicked. And I was like, I am the problem actually. Mm-hmm. And yet I still need to, this breakup needs to go through cause I got to work on myself. Yeah. Like you're going to you, finish this. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't She wanted marriage and kids and I wasn't ready for that. Uh, I, I really still even wasn't ready for an adult relationship, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was still playing out all these kind of, all these patterns and I was like, no, I got to figure me. No. Mm-hmm. So then Jason, just to, and again, you just share what's what you want to, but like, so what was your experience with Ellen? Like, what was that moment when you met? What was it about her or was it you? Like, was it timing? Like, give us your, you know, what yeah. you think about that. I, I had a pattern of dating younger women that I would call girls. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in my twenties, they were always a couple years younger than me. And um, I always picked women who were not, didn't have themselves and wouldn't challenge me. Mm-hmm. And I did that intentionally so I could stay behind my armor. Consciously you know? or unconsciously? No, unconsciously. I, I, I would learn this later about myself looking <sighs> back. But at the time, that's, that's what I was doing. And uh, so I never had to go too deep. Yeah, even though there's a tiny fraction of me, that true self inside that was longing to like be seen and be known and go deep, I, it was still very quiet. And then I met Ellen and I, I just, <laughs> we laugh about this. We met in the hallway in graduate school and I, someone introduced us, a mutual friend. And I was like, Hey, nice to meet you. And I like turned away and I didn't even think about her. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she kept thinking about me. And uh, a year later she asked me out and on our second date, um, we went to this folks fest concert outdoors in Colorado. It was just gorgeous. And I found myself op- spilling my heart out to her. It was wild. And I was tearing up and I was like, Mm. I never opened to a woman like this ever. And it was weird mm. and it felt so good. Right. But then guess what I, what I did in the, the next day? You ran. I shut down. Yeah. I can just completely shut down. I ghosted her. She was texting me like, what's up? And I'm, I'm just like, I just ignored her. I did my pattern. I was going right mm-hmm. back into my pattern. And then I said to myself, dude, no, mm. no more. You don't run. And I called her back and I was like, okay, let's go on a walk. And we talked and I, I stayed that day and I, I, I chose choice C, right? I was mm-hmm. like, okay, it's probably going to be conflictual. And I was mad at her. Mm-hmm. I was like blaming her for, <laughs> for how much I opened up to her. You yeah. know, it's like, it's your fault. Because <laughs> I felt so much shame mm-hmm. for how much I had revealed about myself. Mm-hmm. So would that be a vulnerability hangover and other stuff going on inside of you? Yeah, yeah, I like that. Exactly. Um, and then the shame... Uh, and just, I just wanted to turn away. I was like embarrassed and I was like, oh my God, she's going to hate me. And, uh, she of course thought it was attractive and she was like, I'm into this guy. And, mm-hmm. 
I was like, oh, you, you are? Right. <laughs> it's kind of a new, new way to do relationship. And then we would proceed to struggle um, hard. Uh, we never really had a honeymoon stage. It was just like trying to figure our shit out from the, from mm-hmm. the beginning. And it took us three years to kind of get a little more efficient, but we would go in circles a lot. And again, another reason why I wrote this book, I just, I see people go in circles for years and I'm like, it doesn't need to be that way. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. What is, when you say go in circles, do you mean like just rework the same pattern, rework the same pattern and not have they, nobody goes left and they keep going right? Like what does a circle look like? Yeah. It's like um, the way people talk about it is we're looping in the same fight. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a sign of you just haven't gotten the right help or learned the right tool. And it's usually not because there's something wrong with you or the other person, uh, or it's not the best relationship. It just means there's, there's actually more to learn here and you, you're at a barrier and an impasse and you just need to learn about that impasse and together as a team, uh, ideally, and then you work through that one. And then invariably there's another impasse in a year or <laughs> six months or, totally. and then you team up and figure out how to get through that one. That seems to be my experience. You know why I so appreciate your story? And Todd and I, you know, we've been we've been doing this podcast for 10 years, so I feel like we've shared every, as, I mean, the aspects of our story that we feel are for public consumption. Obviously, we keep things yeah. to ourselves. But the reason that I like to share our story, and I appreciate your story with Ellen, is because it doesn't, it's not a movie romantic story. Like Todd and I met, oh. we're together, and then broke up. And then we didn't talk for a while. And then we came back together and broke up. Like there was so much nice. like, ba- yeah. like We're it, similar that way because Ellen yes. and I broke up twice before yes. we got married. I, I would run a couple more times, by yes. the way. So. As as did Todd, and I don't know if he would use the word run. He would just say, "I really wasn't as I, in it as my you My excuse was, I I, di- I didn't want to miss getting drunk with my friends. Yeah. That's that's really uh-huh. that. I don't know if that's true, but that was what I told myself. Yeah. yeah. And then he would pretend when we'd see each other that we hadn't had an intimate relationship and he'd be like, he'd like shake my hand. And I was like, okay, (laughs) like what's happening here? Like we, you know, we have been together before, like this is ridiculous. And so, yeah, Yeah. totally. And, and I knew, and my friends would be so mad at me and I'm like, I I could, Ellen and I could probably just go sit in a corner and talk about this for hours. Not that we need to rehash our history, but like, just, I knew he was in there. I knew him. And oh, I, and, and my, like, he's this amazing human, he's being this amazing <laughs> human being. He's so kind. He's like, I, I would always tell him, you're like home to me. You feel like home. And yet my friends nice. are like, Kathy, he's drunk with his friends and he's not, not into you. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, and so, and, and I walked Good away you. too, you yeah. know, I walked away too. Yeah. But, um, uh-huh. but I think those stories are important because don't you think that people assume that a, a romantic relationship means no conflict or, yeah, or perfect. Exactly. The fantasy is you meet the right person or you find the one mm-hmm. and no conflict and it's feel good yummies all the time. And it's just total bullshit. I just, I've never met anyone that's had that experience. Well, and I, um, and I think we all agree on this, but let me just make sure I say all the time, relationships take work and uh, uh, people I love and respect say that, that it shouldn't be work. It it shouldn't. And it should, right? I'm with you. I, I'm very aligned here because people say that too. Like, Oh, I don't like the word work. It's, it's play. And I'm like, why do you have to reframe it? Like, it feels like work to me. It feels like I'm busting my ass sometimes. It feels very uncomfortable. I feel like I'm learning a brand new skill sometimes. I feel like a total ass uh, and very insecure. That's work. 
Um, mm-hmm. And what's wrong with work? I don't, I don't think like when you learn anything like snowboarding or how to dance or how to play guitar, it's uncomfortable. It sucks. It's not, I mean, and yeah, there should be a little bit of fun in there because it keeps you going, but you, you know, if you're motivated, you're like, I'm going to figure this out, but it's work. Yeah. And you know, I'm one of those people who's always trying to make Todd reframe it. And I appreciate both of you guys saying that (laughs) because I really do. I'm like, we need a different word than work. And I think for me, it's just because I know how women, the women I work with Mm. associate that word. It it, To Mm. them, they're like, well, and and not to say women aren't willing to do hard work. We all know better than that. What I mean is that there's something about it that to them sounds like another obstacle. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're like, this necessitates our deepest willingness to, you know, there's where words make them say, yes, apply Uh ourselves and show up. Like I use show up a lot. Um, There's a sense of, okay, I can do that. But if I'm like, this is going to be work, they're like, oh, there's a defect. I know. And Kathy, uh, Kathy believes, and I do, but not as much as Kathy does, that words are energy. And I'm like, let's just call it work because that way I have less syllables I have to remember. And, (laughs) but if I use a different set, like it, where I feel like sometimes Kathy is most connected to me when I will either gain an awareness or repeat back something with a very precise, astute language and her eyes just like come out of her head. Mm. She's like, yes. And I'm like, why is that so important to you that I just, you know, confirmed or, or, or had an awareness that was put with the exact proper language, but it's, it, it makes you come alive, mm. sweetie. Well, and it's cool that actually how you two have, do that differently, right? Mm-hmm. And that's okay in your relationship, mm-hmm. the work thing. Well, and it's funny. We had Dr. Alexander Solomon in a workshop for guys talking about sex. Which she's is, a good friend of Jason's, right, Jason? Alex yeah, Solomon? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, she's amazing. Yeah. And uh, she uh, repeated a quote back from Esther Perel, which is, for there to be fire, there needs to be air. So I just wonder, Jason, and this I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know if this is in your book anywhere, probably not, but polarity or differences in a relationship are critical, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the work, the work uh, of healing and integration takes polarities and it reduces the charge, Hmm. which is why some people think um, marriage is a bad option for, you know, a hot sex life because it kills polarity, right? It kills the charge because it starts to get neutral over time or androgynous over time, like masculine, feminine. Hmm. And I think that's, somewhat true, uh, but it doesn't have to be destiny. It doesn't have to be true. Like, and and what I want to say in addition to that is that polarities are key, or I like what you said, Todd, better, just differences, differences. It's our differences that make us a better team. Ellen and I, uh, make us stronger and think of any two business partners, um, that are solid. They have to be different to be a successful team. Uh, they can't be the same or they wouldn't actually be going where they're, they've gone or whatever, any successful company, you know? Mm. Well, and that's what's so interesting about us um, working with the way that we evolve because there's such, and, and I'm going to think about, I'm going to talk about my teenage girls, but it really relates to every relationship. There's such this deep desi- desire, especially in those, that age group to assimilate, you know, to, I, mm-hmm. I can't wear something different. Everybody's wearing this. Um, and it's not always so blatant. They don't say it that blatant, but you can tell that they're, yeah. they're constantly kind of, you know, they're tunneling to that. People doing and, you got yeah. it. You got Absolutely. it. They're, they're checking it out. And so that, and that is, I don't blame my girls for that. That's a very typical, that's exactly their developmental process. 
you know, because that's how yeah. we learn to be in community and in the world. And it, and if, but it's like the the thing, the paradox, as my 14 and your, uh, year old and I keep talking about paradox because she's right now realizing it, you know, seeing uh-huh. the how it works in her life. The paradox is you also have to bring yourself because that's where a right. deep, intimate relationship is, is, you know, I was just having the most benign conversation with my oldest daughter who went to college this year about her musical tastes and that I said, when you get to college, um, you know, when people are going to start sharing their musical tastes, you may, you may or may not, depends on your experience, but be like, oh, my love of Taylor Swift or my love of pop music, is this really going to work in this conversation? And I'm like, yeah. it's okay to bring yourself because you can also love the dead and fish and widespread, but you can also bring this piece of yourself mm. to the conversation and that's yeah. what makes you interesting. Mm. So totally. do, you, do you find that even adults, you know, our age, like I turned 50 this year and I know people who still haven't quite embraced that part of themselves. Yeah. I, I love that. Um, and I love those bands, by the way. <laughs> I know. Those, those I knew that was yours. I listened to in college. You live in Colorado. <laughs> of course you do. I know. And I were probably at, Todd and I were probably at the same concert. <laughs> exactly. At Red Rocks. <laughs> right. But anyway, um, yes, uh, I think I'm just remembering in high school, I wore like Levi's or something and, uh, the cool kids were wearing Jerbos, which is a different brand. And I was like, mom, can I get a pair of Jerbos? Cause I, I wanted to fit in. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, I didn't hang on to myself. Like I left myself behind at, at a lot of those crossroads where it was like, I want to do what the group is doing, but I'm not going to include myself. So you're saying we, we want to conform or fit in sometimes but we, it's very important to hang on to yourself. It's kind of what I heard you say. Well, that's the true self. It's like, yes, because relationship one day, it's okay if we don't, because invariably you'll be in a, uh, or inevitably you'll be in an intimate relationship where your true self is going to come spilling out. And then it's going to be a test. Can you right. and the other person actually handle this part of you and learn to love it? One thing I'm just um, becoming aware of right now is the just even the cadence and how Jason is talking He's saying what I heard you say, Mm -hmm. which is a very interesting phrase, because instead of saying, you said this, Kathy, he's saying what I heard you say. And I wonder if that is a conscious tool um, when you're dealing with conflict, because there is a difference between you said this and what I heard you say. And I just wonder if that's conscious or that's just kind of built into how you talk. Uh, Yeah, it's now it's built into how I talk, but absolutely it's it's uh, was conscious uh, a while back because the you said is kind of a dead end. Um, and people often don't, especially under stress, they don't feel understood when we say, no, I know exactly what you said. And people are like, that's not what I said. And then we're arguing about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's much smarter to, and more skillful and interesting to just keep it like open-ended. Hey, through my filters and uh, how my limitations, what I thought I heard was, you know, uh, that's kind of ownership. What I thought I heard was, or what I, the story I'm making up based on what you said is that allows the other person wiggle room. Yeah. yeah. I say the story I make up about you is uh, all the time. And our girls yeah. have caught on to oh, it. Oh, they, they're like, dad, quit saying that. <laughs> they're like, dad, <laughs> but quit it's making true up story. because I can't know anything for certain, but I could tell you the story I'm making up about what you did last night or what you said last yeah. night. And even like you talk about tools, like your book is full of resources and it makes me want to like just get I get so frustrated because my kid right now is probably in eighth grade learning about stupid college algebra or high school algebra I'm like why isn't she learning conflict resolution why is this not an imperative piece of what we're teaching our kids and I I think your passion is probably even greater than mine right 
I'm, I'm pretty fired up about this because I, I worked with teens for a long time and so did Ellen uh, in residential treatment centers and um, therapy and different counseling programs. And, you know, I just love, teen- I fucking love teenagers Me too. and teenagers. There's, there's such a sad kind of moment for so many teenagers where they, they do betray themselves to, to fit in. And, and if that stays into a habit and it becomes chronic and they lose who they are, it's just devastating to me to watch. And I think our job as parents, it's like, is to, um, keep them tethered to who they are, mm-hmm. uh, and knowing that they're going to experiment, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I, I would love this to be taught in, in school, uh, particularly high school would be ideal. So instead of doing that, most people that are listening to this are parents, get the book, read it, practice it. And if you don't even Live it. teach it, it, who yeah. cares? Don't even teach it. Just right. model it and the yeah. kids will figure it out. Amen. Yeah. You know, I was going to say that I, something that I, on the parenting level of this, you know, the conflict in your book is that one thing I always wanted to do, having an understanding, like I know you and Ellen are both therapists, so you probably deal with this too as parents. Like sometimes when you have a lot of information and you know what could go askew, you're constantly kind of trying to make sure these things don't happen with your children. And it's a, it's a blessing and a curse. And one thing that I've realized now that my girls are the age they are is I can I have rarely, if ever, kept a thing from happening. Like things happen. Your kids make mm. certain choices. They have pain. They are rejected. They whatever it may be, you know. Yeah. Um, but the key is, is then the getting in. If you know, if they are letting you in, and that's a whole nother discussion of keeping open communication with your kids. Um, yeah. But then you can work with that thing because. Going back to what you said at the beginning of this conversation, is they're not going to know resilience unless they've tried the thing or or mm-hmm. let go of themselves um, or had the pain or hit their you know hit their knees. It's the coming back. It's the reconnection. It's the yeah. you know finding order. Nice. So I know, and so I was just going to say that, like, from my own therapist, kind of helped me reframe that of like, Heather, you're not going to, you can't like put up your hands and keep these things from happening, just show up when they do. And have you and Ellen, like as therapists, like as parents, what, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. I I, I mean, you're speaking to a cool point, which is like, man, how do we, how do we do this dance um, of keeping them tethered to who they are with all this stuff coming at them, particularly with phones and media and uh, social media in particular? Uh, It's tricky. It's a lot to navigate, but yeah, we're, we're, we're committed to one thing, which is creating a secure home base right here in our house that, uh, in our arms, that the one place where they feel safe, seen, soothed, and understood for who they are deeply is our home. Mm. Cause I know for certain that ain't going to happen in most of their peer relationships, at least until they're maybe in college or find a boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever, you know? So it's like, man, this is, this is the place where the nourishment is. Mm-hmm. And they know that our kids know that right now. So I, I'm not too worried about adolescence because of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like the house, the roof and the walls is kind of where they fill up their gas tank. And yeah, then they go out exactly. in the world and then they burn all the gasoline and you hope that you create an environment to be able to always have gasoline so they can fill their gas tank back up. What I've always said is my job as a parent, I, I love oversimplifying things, is keep them safe and then get out of their way. And for me, nice. it's kind of that, kind of that yeah. simple. Well, and yeah. this this is why we get to love teenagers, Jason, because like when you do all those things early on, it, it's not that your teenagers still don't have the typical struggles of a teenager, but you've already built that. So mm-hmm. we love 
supporting our girls through these things if, you know, it, it's it's easier. It's easier. Yeah, it, it sounds like what you guys have created is what Dan Siegel calls the safe harbor and mm. launching pad, mm. right? I just love that. So we have eight minutes left and um, I want to maximize it as best I can. Part of me wants to just go into, so just so everybody knows the the structure of the book, there's three parts. And the first part is what is conflict, also known as what is zero. Part two is what happens when you're in conflict or how to get to zero. And the last is the do's and don'ts of conflict and how to stay at zero. Um, I have a question, but I, I want to like create a little space for you, Jason. What do you hope our listeners can pull from this as maybe something that you can just highlight because we've just scraped the surface. Like we've talked totally. about 1% of what's in this book and I just want to like invite you to any part that you think is especially impactful. Yeah. I, I'd underline a, an important concept that whenever you avoid conflict with, with another person, you're creating an inner conflict with yourself. Mm. And that's those two choices, right? When I don't speak up, in a relationship at work or at home or with my, my partner and I choose to stuff it instead, I'm carrying that now. That's a conflict living inside of me. That's going to like a little drumbeat is going to go on day in and day out. And it's going to turn into a resentment eventually. Mm -hmm. And I like resentments because they remind us that we've betrayed ourselves somewhere along the way. And we've set some expectations up for other people that they can't meet. And it gets us back to, you know, an honest place so we can really evaluate um, what's actually going on. Mm. So that I would say that, and then I would say, uh, to sort of piggyback off that is, you know, conflict is, is a doorway. It's not a door. And the doorway is this amazing opportunity for you to get to know yourself better and the other person. And don't you think our world could use people who are more, a little more adept at interpersonal conflict versus blaming other people blaming themselves, you know, or avoiding it entirely. Like I think a more relationally literate world includes one where people know how to do this skill mm -hmm. of just working through differences and conflict doesn't have to be again, this big arguing and we're throwing things or fighting. It's, it's often what we're not saying. It's the silence between us. It's the person that didn't text us back. It's the family member that won't, you know, own their part at the holidays. It, it's so many things. And, um, all of us have it. You're normal. If you have it, mm -hmm. it's, there's nothing wrong with you. Uh, I always ask people, um, raise your hand if you have a t some tension or an unresolved issue with some, one person in your life and pe every freaking hand goes up. <laughs> this is a human thing. So if it's in your high stakes environment, like your closest people go there, go there, learn how. And, you know, Jason, when you say that, I, you know, being in conversation with people about this, usually the comment back is they won't be able to do it back. Yeah. I'll bring my best and they will not know how to do it back. So what do you say to people? Yeah. So we can, a couple things here. Um, that's for me, that's not a good enough reason mm -hmm. to not do conflict mm -hmm. and not learn how. Um, but I hear you it's, and it's valid. It's a valid uh, case and argument and experience, right? It's pretty normal. Uh, in the book, I talk about reasonable requests and for behavior change and not when we ask people to change behavior, it has to be reasonable. Like, can you pick up your socks off the floor? Would you be willing to contribute financially over a period of five years or something? Just a little bit, just a teeny bit, little things like this we can ask for. Um, when we ask someone to be fundamentally different, a different person, mm -hmm. like you should read this book and you should learn how to do conflict 
and they have no interest and it's not a value of theirs, you're asking someone to change who they are. Mm-hmm. And that backfires, I think, 100% of the time. And that person, the other person ends up feeling judged, criticized, and blamed. And then your, your relationship gets worse. So ask for reasonable, you can make reasonable requests for behavior change in a, in a way that's considering them and their values. And I, in the book, I have a whole chapter on how do we talk to this person uh, before we even utter, I, I have like 13 steps before you even open your mouth um, hmm. that I think are very important to consider here. Um, because if you don't want to lose this person, you want to be skillful about how you approach them. And then at the end of the day, if the person's not budging, it's really okay to end a relationship. It's okay to be like, oh, we're so different. And you have no interest in learning how to work through conflict with me and conflicts in an inevitable part of relationships. Therefore, this ain't going to work. Mm. And that's okay. And I love you. It's not a problem. Mm. I think that's a good way to end. I, Jason, I do want to have you hang on after we're done with recording, but um, will you tell people how to find you um, and all the things that you offer to this world? Yeah, totally. Uh, so I'm on Instagram at Jason Gaddis, or uh, the book is at gettingtozerobook.com. If you want a few extra goodies there, you can always, like Todd said in the beginning, you can find it at all the places, bookshop.org or whatever you're into supporting. You can ask for it at your local indie shop and, and hopefully they would order it for you. Um, and the Relationship School podcast is, is another place, some great interviews there. Uh, but gettingtozerobook.com has things like conflict quiz. You can determine your conflict style and a few fun things like that. Nice. Uh, Jason, thank you so much for joining us. Um, let's do it again. Um, really and, appreciate it. And thank you for writing this book because it always gives now, like I have this new resource where I'm like, start here, you know, before you try and jump to here, start with your own, how you manage conflict. So I'm just appreciative of the tool and the resource and your work. You mm. do great work in the world, Jason. Mm. Thanks, guys. It's so fun to hang out with you, too. I can't wait to do it again. Yes. And maybe it's we're going to do it uh, with you, Kathy, with your book. I hope so. Yeah. I would love to talk to you. And it, is, is Ellen on the podcast with you? She is sometimes, yeah. Okay. I love her, too. So as you know, I'm yeah. a big fan. Yeah. So um, I would have her join, join me for that one. Great. Um, all right, everybody. We'll catch you next week on Zen Parenting Radio. Thanks for listening, everyone. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And feel free to leave a five-star review. It helps people find us. Hey, looking for more support, exclusive content, and an awesome community of parents? Join Team Zen, where you'll get zero pressure and 100% support. First month's free if you enter the coupon code FRIEND. Go to zenparentingradio.com. Time is at a premium these days, which is why we're delivering help and hope right to your inbox. Sign up to receive Zen Parenting Moment, a quick read two times a week that helps ground you and remind you of what you already know. Go to zenparentingradio.com to subscribe. A special shout out to the guys or for women who want to share a pretty great opportunity with the men in their lives. Men Living is committed to improving men's lives through connection. Included in our program is a low-pressure, 75-minute weekly virtual gathering for men to give and get support and build friendships. If you want to learn more, you can head to menliving.org. Join us for our other podcast, Pop Culturing, where we take a Gen X view on movies and TV and have fun breaking down key moments and the themes that teach us what it means to be human. And don't forget about our founding partner, Jeremy Craft at avidco.net. He is a bald-headed beauty, painting and remodeling throughout Chicago and area. His number is 630-956-1800. Thanks for listening, everybody, and keep on trucking.